Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 437, and today we'll be talking about Day Off Work from Bee and Puppy Cat. I'm GC13. And I'm David. Really hard not to say Day Off of Work there, but I eventually got it. <laughs> I love that the Netflix description for this episode focuses on um, Cass as somehow the protagonist or even instigator of the story says, oh, it's Cass's day off, and she wants to try on some new face masks. Well, that certainly happens in this episode, and it? That is, is the inciting <laughs> incident for the wizard family um, flurry, we shall call it. Puppycat technically does kick off his own independent series of events, though, and eventually the two collide. <laughs> when it, literally. Just, oh, hi! <laughs> and then that... Then Puppycat puts that teleportation gun to work. Yes, which, what a ridiculously powerful piece of tech just lying around in in Cardamon's basement. This episode is, wow, is it so much, uh, (laughs) there's so much going on, and yet there's very little going on at all. And it's kind of incredible to think by the time that you get to the end of it that it started with B (laughs) just staring at a shelf in a convenience store for an extremely long time while a guy named Narb stares at her. And, well, is Narb even a real person? That's an outstanding question. I I do want to know, was she, like, planning on stealing that? Narb was certainly staring at her like she was gonna try to grab it and go. B B seems like, uh, you know, she's a gremlin, but I don't think she's a thief. She is adamant about paying for things in multiple scenarios, like paying Cardamon rent, paying the wizards for food. So I don't see her being a thief. And I, But Narb just has, I think he just kind of has a resting intense face. <laughs> well, and a resting intense attitude. It, it doesn't take much to get him really excited about selling you on chips and Whatever strange Towels. red candy. <laughs> oh, those are nice and soft. <laughs> uh, yeah, Narb is uh, an incredible character. Uh, everything about his design and his, well, whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is that makes him live his life that way. Where he's both insulting B, Like, he's blasting her for saying, Oh, you like buying your friends lots of cheap things that maybe they'll give back to you, huh? And then he just switches to selling her stuff, but still, I guess, under the premise that he's like, yeah, you like that? You like buying cheap garbage? And then, you know, casually throws in other notes like, don't eat that cheese because it's giving the mice heart attacks. Chekhov's gun. They finally fired one for me. (laughs) Yeah, they finally had a setup. Uh, There's actually multiple pieces of weird setup, right? Like the strange cricket at the start of the episode. The the cheese. Wait, that's a setup for something? Oh, boy. Well, that cricket actually continues to live on in multiple episodes, so get ready for that. Uh, but, you know, he did kick stuff around in this episode, which, you know, if he hadn't kicked the cake in Puppy Cat's into his intestines, then he wouldn't have gotten so bloated and stuck under the couch. So he <laughs> played an important role, but his gun was fired pretty quickly since he did that within the first five minutes. <laughs> but he did also give the mouse a heart attack a second time by pushing the cheese onto the floor. So, you know, almost everything introduced in this episode really continues to play a role throughout it, which is fun. Except for Narb. Thank God he didn't. Maybe I need to go check, like, the windows 
<laughs> in the background of multiple scenes to make sure his face didn't appear in them. But I'm pretty sure he, he was only in the store. I guess I guess we'll see. <laughs> or we'll hopefully not see Narb outside of the store. Yes, but I'm, I'm very disappointed in you, David. You said Toast's pregnancy wouldn't play into the show at all. And yet it did play into how she was acting in response to being defeated by Cass in the hallway. Okay, wait, no. Like Merlin, oh, you're hormonal. Yeah, he says that. He says, oh, are you finally hormonal? But she is acting exactly the way that we've seen her. I mean, granted, we only really saw her for one episode before she announced her pregnancy. But was she any different than this? I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's suspicious. I don't recall her crying this much. I, I guess that the, the tears are coming in. It's just, I guess that does impact her. She also isn't wearing pants the whole episode. So, <laughs> again, it's at everybody's day off work. Yep. So, I don't, I don't think Cass understands the principle behind a face mask. You know, layering them on top of each other doesn't do anything. Ex- except scare. Uh, scare people, of course. Yeah, I thought she was doing it just for entertainment value, but when she tries to take them off at the end, she was hoping to see her facial, you know, condition improve instead of getting a zit. So, feel bad for her. For uh... well, That's probably because she left it on too long. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I don't think she meant to, though. They seemed pretty stuck. I can't believe that, uh, what, five people landed on her face and she was okay? Maybe that's what caused the zit? That's gotta push some you know, dirt or something into your pores. I don't know. She used to be a professional wrestler. You know, people landing on you is just part of the job. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Also, they, like, landed on her face while she was standing, and she didn't even crumple to the ground. So I guess Puppycat wasn't the only one. Hey, you ever heard of a face buster? Uh, Well, yeah, apparently Cass can stand up to the face buster. The thing is, Puppycat also showed his strength in this episode. Um, which was a much larger driving factor <laughs> of things happening. Basically, Puppycat just smacks stuff, and the plot, if you want to call it that, <laughs> continues. Uh, what is what does he smack in total in this episode? He breaks breaks a hole in the in the wall mm-hmm. to get at the egg. Then he breaks the pipes to get at the egg. He breaks well. He doesn't break into the into the wall, but he causes the wall to be broken. Uh, so that the the hectic chase through the dining room and then outside can occur. Uh, he does a bit of breaking. And smacking, I mean, mainly he smacks the mouse. A lot. Uh, the whole little mouse thing was truly funny. <laughs> yeah. You just reach a point where it's like, okay, he's been hitting this mouse for an awful long time. Like, this thing's gonna have to come back to life now. <laughs> the sound design on that was... So satisfying, like, that smack, I could have just kept hearing it. It's just something so funny about it. And then the fact that the mouse just proudly eats another bit of cheese and tells Puppycat, I'm gonna die of a heart attack again. <laughs> what are you gonna do about it? I don't know what uh, that mouse was going through, but... I, th- I think they missed an opportunity for him to say that he was eternally grateful before eating some more of the cheese. Wow. Wow. <laughs> But I guess they had to work in a way because y- you can't have them both. You can't have him say eternally grateful and then also say that, but this cheese is going to give me another heart attack. <laughs> yeah, wow. I I don't even, yeah, forming thoughts around 
what happened in this episode is um, very difficult because ultimately nothing did. But we do, I mean, basically Puppycat wanders around the spaces a little more and we get an understanding of the relationship between the apartments. We see that somehow behind Drywall and B's apartment is the same staircase that we see winding down in Cardamon's room. Weirdly, he accesses, like, the staircase stops in the room where his mom is sleeping, but then there's a panel to let you go farther down. Secret staircase. Yes, very secret. He's keeping it a secret anyway, because he keeps putting that panel back. But uh, apparently, Puppy Cat's chair, presumably... Well, it's a chair. I don't know if we we would really yep. understand the context of what kind of chair it is. Is down there for some reason. There's a giant chute which just I think exists conveniently to have a bunch of pipes in it, and for Puppy Cat to fall through it. The the whole pipes thing was hilarious too. Like that almost felt like a it reminded me of Legend of Zelda: Majora's Mask, like dealing with pipes and water flow. It's like this weird, <laughs> tiny little, uh, almost like sciency type thing where the episode is affected depending on whether puppy cats most recently hit the pipes. <laughs> like, is there water flowing through it? Is there a mix of red and water? Is there just red dripping on Carmen's face? It's kind of entertaining to see the pipes get reconfigured by just smacking them multiple times, which apparently is also how Cardamon solves issues. Is Well, is the hammer magic, or is he just really good with the hammer? I, I don't know. Well, I've seen what he can do with the fishing pole, so I'm going to say he's just really good with the hammer. <laughs> He's also really good with veiled threats. I almost forgot that he just, you know, introduced the threat that if Puppy Cat doesn't, you know, act on his marital obligations every now and then with Sticky, <laughs> that Cardamon will raise the rent. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that's just going on now. I like how Puppy Cat teases that, oh, I might teleport myself in the room with Sticky, and he's like, eh, you wish. <laughs> I love such a little uh, scamp. Love how angrily or self smugly he he stared at her. Uh, But uh, what's the architecture of those stairs, though? Because that wall that he broke through to get into that extra space, that's at the front of the house, right? Yes. Yes. Because the wall is towards the entrance. Yes. And then I believe he goes left. He doesn't just go straight because there wouldn't be enough room. But if he goes left, that would be the entryway that he would be uh, taking. I I just feel like there might be some TARDIS technology going on in here. I think it might be bigger on the inside in the wall. Uh, You'd think that this would actually be a crucial aspect of the show's setup. So (laughs) the way that these connect would be like someone would have actually drawn it out on on a map or something. I don't think they did. So that maybe there's a little bit of nonsense going on. A little bit. I I think it's an insult that uh, Puppy Cat's chair won't work for him, but it'll work for Cardamon and Sticky. That's well, just cold. It does work for him. It just like over breaks. It just breaks <laughs> while using it. Yeah, I, I don't know why. Too much power. Does he activate something that requires too much power instead of just the vibration mode, <laughs> the massage mode? I, I like that. Uh, oh, you know, I'm sure Puppy Cat's going to give you a. Uh, much nicer ring than that. I don't know. I, I think if Sticky gets a ring from Puppy Cat, that's going to be the one. It's the yeah. ring he has. So this episode handles everything pretty gracefully up until that ring. I did feel like that was a little forced. It didn't feel as much environmental storytelling. You know, it felt like in Steven Universe when Gems and Steven are walking in the moon base and they pass by the orb. 
And Garnet's like, that's not what we're here for, Pearl, whoever. But, you know, we just, like, stop the episode for a moment to stare at an orb and point out that we're not going to investigate it more. And Cardamon does the same thing, like, oh, you opened the wrong compartment. Oh, there's a ring. Like, yes, of course, we already know Puppy Cat's you know, some space prince and he was going to propose. It would have been nicer if he just opened the compartment without calling it out. But it's fine. Cardamon's, whatever, five years old. He narrates his life to everyone near him, including <laughs> Sticky. <laughs> it's in character. Eh, it's more he's narrating Sticky's life at that point. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Those two are so close. He, Cardamon goes into the bushes in the early morning and squeezes Sticky <laughs> so that Sticky will pee. <laughs> this is sweet, but like, oh my god. As if this poor child didn't have enough to do as an adult. <laughs> now he has to, you know, do this. Yeah, that's that. that's one way to walk your dog, I guess. Ugh, those those plants are getting weirder and weirder though when uh when they get the tear water used on them. <laughs> yeah, they are and but it it's that word specifically. They're just weird. Like, B tries to hit one with a stick, happens to have a caterpillar at the end of the stick. Flower kisses the caterpillar. Caterpillar is just shocked. It doesn't even have another emotion and is just staring at B. Until Sticky gets hungry. <laughs> Until Sticky tries to eat the caterpillar, of course, because every action in the show is followed by another action and another action. <laughs> so many multiple threads. But yeah, like that, it's just B is confused and grossed out by what the flowers are doing. It's it's great. Uh, wow. Yeah, there's so many. See, you can tell this is uh, written with Pendleton Ward. One, because those little uh, tracker people show up and they look so much like just little two dot eye beings that Pendleton Ward draws. They do look very Adventure Time. Yeah, very Adventure Time. And like when he had come on to the end of Steven Universe and designed the uh, the pebbles. That evokes the same thing. Like he likes drawing little, somewhat alive, but maybe kind of simplistic creatures. And these are obviously even more simplistic. I mean, are they even conscious? I don't know, but just little things with faces that can, you know, track something. That was adorable, though, that uh, Puppy Cat was worried about where B was, and so he wanted to put a tracking device on her. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually. That's what started this whole thing. But famous last words, don't say, I'm going to make her eat it, <laughs> because you'll end up swallowing it, puppy cat. It's, it's like in AEW, if you put up a table during a match, you're the one going through it. It's <laughs> just how it works. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I guess we've learned about making edible tracking devices and being puppy cat. Now haven't we, puppy cat? <laughs> yeah it I, it's funny though because it works out right like beak really quickly figures out how to track a puppy cat she doesn't pull it out of his mouth at the end though she just sees a face staring at her in his throat <laughs> i saw that and i'm like is she, is she gonna leave it in there i mean it would be very good to have a way to find puppy cat so strategically i think it's best to leave it in there yeah the tracking device i think comes into play again because of course it would but how it should come back into play is that B has to take Puppy Cat to the hospital because it's just blocking his airways. I don't understand his biology. He's a space prince. I'm sure he'll be fine. So, okay, wow. In an episode where not much happened, it actually turns out a lot happened. So I'm, I'm trying to track 
Yeah. How many things that we still haven't talked about? Like, uh, Marlin speaks. He speaks. <laughs> and he's dumb. He's a dumb goof. I mean, he's the one who fell for toast, so you didn't expect him to be the brightest apple on the family tree. <laughs> well, except he's the doctor, right? The doctor who won't, you know, create a new medication that cures all of <laughs> Toast's emotional woes, but will help her try to summon the demon Zorzax, because... I don't think he thought that that was actually going to happen. When, when she set that stuff on fire, did she have a match or something I didn't see? Or did that happen as part of the ritual? It I missed that. like it just happened spontaneously. Uh, that's the only actually mysterious part of that whole ritual. Everything else, yeah, we see, we see the explanations. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I I feel like Toast probably could just make things catch on fire by her own personality and sheer will of determination. <laughs> I mean, how do you prepare toast? You need uh you need something to heat up a slice of bread. So maybe she has innate toasting powers. She claims that she's already made a contract with a demon before maybe even zorzax before who knows maybe <laughs> that's where she gave herself her toast name from toasting powers extremely unlikely though i'm going to guess i don't know it's the kind of ridiculous thing i can imagine her making a pact with a demon for i'm toast i should be able to toast things that and the strength of a few dogs right <laughs> really worth it it's like uh, on Rugrats, the incredible bulk with the strength of two really strong guys. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yep, so good stuff. Good stuff. What a what a what a day off work it was. Uh, I I I can't even think like of a better synthesis for this episode than what Netflix came up with. Sure, <laughs> it's it's just about <laughs> one person's day off, not. I mean, what are these? Uh, the rest of these jokers even doing? No one seems to be working the cafe. I mean, it's raining. Who's going to come out to a cat cafe when it's raining? Yeah. It's just funny. There's, there's not even a, uh, a visit to, well, I guess space. There's not really a word for the places where B goes to do her job. But like that, that premise is already discarded. <laughs> you definitely couldn't have a temp job on a day off. That, well, that's true. That's true. I'll give them that. They get the excuse. It's just funny that by episode six, we're we're already tired of the premise that we're doing temp jobs. <laughs> and instead, we're uh, just, I don't know, bumbling around, seeing if stuff will happen if you poke it. These were jobs that they assigned to themselves. Puppycat assigned himself the project of getting a tracking device in B, and B assigned herself the process of uh, tracking down Puppy Cat. I think it's fair. <laughs> so, what 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 else is there to say? <laughs> Except that, uh, you know, I, I promise, GC, exciting things are going to happen in this show. Exciting things that just draw you in. Don't, don't you want to know why the ocean's glowing and why B just stares so mysteriously outward at it i mean that, those are the details that keep you going right underwater laboratory maybe <laughs> who knows all these characters seem connected it's interesting yep I, I i do want to see what they cook up next but they've had some weird ones and this was one of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my god i i need to pay attention more to the writing credits I, I, i'm starting that in this episode but uh like this episode like the setup for the show is it's 
Natasha Allegra, right, the creator, and Pendleton Ward. So they're writing story outlines, and then presumably your storyboard artist, uh, Joji Shimura, actually, you know, builds off that story. So a somewhat similar setup to actually Steven Universe, at least when I remember reading about how Steven Universe worked. Like, they maybe write a one or two page Google Doc describing what's supposed to happen in the episode, and then the storyboard artist kind of fleshes it out. Can you even imagine what the one pager, <laughs> like Pendleton comes out of the office, uh, he's just like silently hands it to Natasha. She's like, yeah, honestly, perfect. And then <laughs> she's getting this thing and just drawing like, how do any of these events connect with each other? Like, what kind of summary would they have even written? I, I don't know. Like the process for how this type of episode would get written fascinates me because how like it's if you're writing the story it's either every detail is defined or like what's even the high level somehow puppy cat stumbles around discovers multiple things we don't really care how it gets done and joji's thinking yeah i guess first something gets lodged in puppy cat's intestines and it all goes downhill from there it's <laughs> it's, it's it's fascinating i i would be interested to see the uh, the original premise sheets that the storyboard artists were handed that would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. We man, I miss the era of the the tum- crew tumblers for Adventure Time and Steven Universe. Really getting those. Those were the good old days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Man, King of Ooh was such a wonderful website. But yeah, Netflix era. I feel like like this show just feels so secret, and you try to look up anybody's name. And they just don't exist. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm not on Twitter anymore. But, you know, the the era of like following these storyboard artists on Twitter where they weren't just constantly getting harassed. All that's gone. So it's so much harder to know how these shows are built anymore. Which it's, it's kind of fun, actually, to have something so mysterious <laughs> internally also be mysterious externally. But it also makes me nervous that there won't be a season two. So <laughs> yeah, a little bit of word on that would be nice. Hey, I mean, this show already survived eight years, so. Good point. Anyway, guys, that's it for us on Day Off Work. Join us next week. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com.